I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello and welcome to another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast where we bring you all the latest insights and trends from the world and industry of craft beer. Today we're joined by the team from Quantock Brewery, a multi-award winning brewery based in Somerset, UK. Founded in 2008, Quantock has built a reputation for producing high quality beers that are full of flavour and character. From their core range of pale ales, IPAs and stouts to their seasonal and collaboration brews, their commitment to brewing excellence has earned them a loyal following of beer enthusiasts. Quantock very kindly sent me a collection of their beers and I was very impressed, I have to say, with the quality and flavour of them, especially Titanium, their jammy, resinous West Coast IPA, and their totally delicious, deep and crisp and even intergalactic space cow, a dry hopped milk stout. Utterly tasty stuff. Over the last couple of years, Quantock have popped onto my radar for a variety of reasons. Firstly, one of the big shiny brew houses on display at CBBRX was actually destined for Quantock after the UK's biggest trade show ended. I can't remember if that was last year or the year before, but there was a lot of talk about this brew kit. And secondly, at another trade show last year, Bev Expo in Manchester, I got to try a single British hopped IPA making use of Olicana from Charles Farham's breeding programme. Speaking of which, and you're about to marvel at my broadcasting skills with this segue. Did I mention that this year I'll be speaking at not one, but two seminars at CBA BRX? Given that I love British hops, on Wednesday the 15th of March at 1.45, I'll be taking part in the roundtable discussion hands-on with British hops, an interactive Q&A with Brewers and Charles Farham. I'll be sharing my experience of brewing Emmanuel's England's Green and Pleasant Land, which is carbonating in tank as we speak, being canned this Friday, ready for Seba Beer X. So not only will you get to hear me wax lyrical about British hops, but you get to taste the beer as well. Amazing. And as if that wasn't enough, the following day on Thursday the 16th at 4.15, I'll be running a session called How to Invest in Your Marketing When Money is Tight. Because we all know that when cash is tight, marketing is the first thing to go, right? And in my opinion, that's quite possibly the worst thing to stop investing in at the moment. So if you can resist the urge to go to Wood Whiskey and Time, a vertical barrel aged beer tasting with Brew York. Well, I'm glad some people could resist the lures of the big game. Oh my God, I forgot the game. Then I would love to see you there. Right, scaling a brew house. Scaling a brew house can be a daunting task for any brewery, but it's an essential step for those looking to grow and expand their operations. In this episode, we'll be discussing the challenges and opportunities that come with scaling a brewery, drawing on the experiences of Quantop Brewery as they've grown and evolved over the years, and especially with expanding into international markets and fulfilling big orders from subscription box companies. I'm quite hard actually to hear of breweries who, regardless of the current economic conditions, are growing and expanding their capacity. And I've spoken to a few recently. 
I'm quietly hopeful that the industry might, just might, be starting to recover a little bit here in the UK. Of course, if you are here in the UK, there's not much fruit and vegetables on the shelves at the moment, for reasons that shall remain nameless, but we're going with the letter B and it's not beer. But you can buy generous amounts of craft beer and very expensive Hyptastic Triple IPA. So all is well with the world. What else do you need? Join us as we delve into the world of brewery expansion from selecting the right equipment and managing production schedules to maintaining the quality and consistency of your beers when scaling your brew house. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Hot 4 podcast and gain some valuable insights into scaling your own brewery, regardless of how small or how big you are. But before you do, stay tuned as I'd love to tell you a little bit more about Hot Forward and what we can do for you and your beer business. Here at Hot Forward, we are as passionate about brewing up a great business as much as we are about making great beer. We're creative beer specialists, offering marketing, branding and commercial development for breweries and beer businesses of all shapes and sizes. We're here to help you grow your beer business in a profitable and sustainable way. With experience in brand building, marketing and design, business development and commercial brewing, we can help you in the following areas. Brand development, marketing strategies, brewery consultancy and commercial success. I'm Nick. And I'm Sean. And we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Visit hotforward.beer today to find out more. Thanks for your time and we look forward to hearing from you soon. This week on the show, I'm joined by Cheryl and Dan from Somerset's Quantop Brewery. Hello. Hi. How are things going at Quantock at the moment? Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Uh, lots of changes and bits and pieces. It's been one hell of a year for us, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. And even the year before that, and maybe the year before that. So, right. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, and build, building up to the um, the, the, the Christmas, um, it's been a little bit quiet, obviously, with the cost of living. There's not so many people coming out and pubs are slightly quiet. But no, no, it's building up really, really well. And the boys are definitely manically busy downstairs. Um, so brewing and on our new kit, which obviously we'll talk about. Happy days, brilliant. Um, so for our listeners, some of whom may be unfamiliar with you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what beers you make and the kind of customers you sell those beers to? Right, so to, we started Quantock uh, about 15 years ago, just obviously for a love of beer and a lot where a lot of people start in their garage. So uh, Rob and myself are directors and founders of, of Quantock Brewery. Rob started brewing probably about 45 years ago um, and bought a kit from Boots to just round it up and, and uh, didn't like it. It was really horrible. Decided then to build his own kit because Rob's a nuclear engineer by trade. Um, built his own little pilot kit and then just continuously brewed. Um, moving on quite a few years, a bit later, he then uh, retired as a nuclear engineer, bought a pub. Um, that's when I met Rob. We got together, uh, sold the pub, and then decided what we were going to do. Unfortunately, my mum had passed away and I had had some inheritance money and Rob didn't want to go back into engineering. So this is a true story, as I've told many other people, on a toss of a 2p coin, because I'm a baker by trade, it was we either opened a bakery or a microbrewery. And microbrewery came up, much to my dismay. Right. Um, <laughs> and... Um, uh, my dad at the time then moved from Cornwall and came over. So it was literally myself and my dad, who's now retired, and Rob. Uh, we started at the microbrewery over in Wellington. 
on a trade in the state, tucked over right in the corner. Um, so there was no outlet for us. There was no shop. There was no tap rooms there. So that was around about 2007. Worst time to start business at that particular time it was. Because um, that was uh, the recession, wasn't it, when that started? Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the previous recession, things, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, we put all our money in. We didn't want to borrow any money from banks. So we thought we could do it because Rob could make really good beer. But obviously, you know, it's, it's a lot of different stories as the years have gone on. Forwarding then, it was quick, pretty obvious that, you know, we could make really good beer. Um, we quickly won, started to pick up some camera beer awards. Um, and along that line, that's when probably back about 14 years ago, that's when I first met Dan. Um, then moving on a bit forward then, we quickly outgrew where we were. Um, awards were coming in. We were making really good beer. We started to bottle. We just totally outgrew where we were. And I think it was one of those things where we realised then that, you know, with the way the beer is, it really is, and I'm sure that lots of people agree, we need to sell it. We need to sell it from the source. So for free trade and, to, and the wholesale, we need to sell, to, you know, sell from our shop. So we started a tiny little shop where we were. We then moved over to where we are now. So we're literally 200 yards away from um, the West Somerset Railway. So we thought, you know, trains and real ale go together like peas and carrots. So that was really good. The idea was just to come here, open up a shop and have a bigger premises. Um, we literally moved in in the June uh, we came over about a little eight-barrel kit around about August time, started brewing then. We opened up the shop. Um, things started, you know, things kicked off really, really well. Um, and then we opened up the tap room. And actually, the tap room was, was an accident, um, but probably the best accident we've ever had in, in the business. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the tap room's amazing. And I think it was um, a realisation of a long dream to build a microbrewery where the experience and the location is as enjoyable as the beer we make. That's a lot of things we say to other people. Um, I think really where we are, things have definitely changed from me as a perspective over the last 15 years of the way that beer has evolved without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. Um, Dan came along. So we had James, who's our brew house manager. Dan came and Dan is in hospitality um, and he's uh, GMs of lots and lots of pubs, etc. Um, I met Dan through camera and work that he did for local camera beer festivals. Um, then probably about five or six years ago, I met up with Dan and he wasn't happy in the job he was at. So we're going to tell you a little secret now. Dan actually came on sales and was shit at it. So you can, you, you can edit that if you want. But he no, was really crap. Let, let's, let's put it this way. He can't sell beer, but he can make bloody good beer. So that's 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 where. So. Um, and course. then um, he wasn't very good at it. So then um, Rob, Rob and I turned around and said, well, do you know, should we, should we, should we, should we Rob would learn, teach you how to brew and go through the website. And, and that's where we are now. It's evolved massively. I will let Dan take over a bit to talk to you about where we are. But, yeah, it's definitely, for me, as, as the owner and everything else and with the team, it's definitely been an emotional roller coaster. And I'm sure if you've talked to any other brewers, oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll, 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 they'll tell you the same. Yep. It's not easy. Um, it is definitely the love and the passion of, of what we do and, and where we are as a team. It's like a great big family. So um, I'll let Dan talk to you where we are with the beers at the moment. But I, I think the way what we brew at the moment has definitely evolved, definitely just over the last 15 years. Mm. So do you want to talk Yeah. I mean, when, when I first came in, we were um, 
what most people would probably regard as a relatively traditional brewery um, on the hoppier end of the scale for, for the traditional market, but, um, but, but still producing 95% cask, uh, a few bottles. Um, and then over the last you know, six, seven years, really, we've, we've slowly started transitioning to, to becoming more and more hop forward um you know making more hazy ipas making more um cam products um and and really focusing on being slightly more diverse um in terms of our offerings um when covid first hit us we were um in a bit of a scary predicament as being uh, selling the majority of our beer through cast and to whole trade um and so since then, it's kind of been a bit of a mission really for us to, to spread ourselves out in terms of, um, you know, routes to market. Mm. Um, and, and frankly, uh, you know, being able to make um, products that are intense in flavor in small pack that people can sit down and just have one at home um, is definitely appealing from, from the brewer's aspect or side of things as well. Um, so yeah, more diverse uh, offerings is definitely kind of where we're trying to trying to be now, really. Yeah, I think as a as a as a as a brew crew, I've got I, I, I feel very blessed because I think that their their passion and their knowledge and um, and to have people who want to come and work every day because it's something that they're really passionate about. Um, although Dan Blissett has not been well for the last two days, so we've, we've all had the burger. <laughs> um, but no, I think that the the quality is skyrocketing, um, and I think that all three of them or four of them downstairs are just beer lovers with a passion that we all are and, and Rob and, and and it's something that to me I feel a privilege to be part of the craft beer industry at the moment although you know it's sad a lot of the things that are happening and, and it's not good but it is they are I am really it's almost I feel like a, a I say this a lot as well they probably get bored hearing it I feel like a, a mum and you know like when your kids bring you own like pasta necklaces and drawings yeah. <laughs> and get really choked up. Oh, yeah. So when they when they come upstairs and they bring me the little thirds of all the new beers, I'm like, oh god. Yeah. So yeah. So oh, so proud of them. And we've we've been through such a shit time. Everybody has. Oh, you know, we're, we're no different to everybody else. I'm not trying to sing this out, but you know, in COVID, we were all sat down. We'd literally just been sort of like the week before we'd just been crowned um overall national CBA champions for our cast for titanium. And then normally on a Friday, we all stand around the bar and we all have a chat about what we're doing. And we were talking about our upcoming beer festival and new beers and how we're all excited to do a bit of marketing on the titanium and stuff. And then everybody was like shushed because there was, there was, there was, there was obviously this, this bubbling going on, obviously, about COVID and, you know, the hand sanitising and no hugging and stuff. Um, and then obviously then Boris came up literally that night on our telly. And I've never, on, oh, I, I, I do still get a little bit choked up by it. It was annoying, but it was just like the someone had literally knocked the wind out of it. I walked home that night. I cried. I got up in the morning, put me big girl pants on, because basically what he'd done, he'd taken away every route to market that we had. I didn't have anything. We couldn't open the shop. We, the pubs had to close. We had we had cellar for the beer and everything else. And I just was mortified. So then all of a sudden, because we had an off license, we were allowed to open the shop. So we literally, within 24 to 48 hours, changed our whole business model of, of what we did and, and how we worked. I think one of the worst things was sitting down at my kitchen table and writing them all furlough letters. 
camp out that was really shit because I didn't know if, if we were going to come back or not. Mm. Um, but lucky enough, we did. Um, we took advantages of lots of things. Obviously, the furlough really, really helped us, but also the bounce-back loan, which had enabled us then to buy a canning line and the canning plant, which then just turned everything around. So all these recipes that they'd been sat on and were bubbling up and they were so wanting to go forward with, it was almost like, there you go, you know, and they just unleashed it and they've done it so, so well. I'm so proud of them all. Yeah, I think with those bounce back loans, I remember, I mean, I took one out um, for my business. I remember talking to my financial advisor who said, Nick, it's practically free money. You won't get money as cheap as this again. Like just, you know, just take it for what it's worth. And I did. So I can see how being able to afford a canning line because they're they're not cheap. I mean, obviously we had to, yeah, we had to put some towards it, but it wouldn't have been half as much as, 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 as what we needed to. And it literally did change the business so we had to change the way we work but it changed the business and then all of a sudden because we were doing canning but it was via a third party so Mm. all the brews all the beers brewed here a third party would come in then can it It, and we we wasn't it's really limiting wasn't it yeah and yeah and like like dan would say to you it's we we could only do 2,000 litres of, of that, 2,000 litres of that. If the beer wasn't ready, they would go and come back. They let us down quite a bit during during COVID, during that time that they were coming around. Um, and it just basically, we weren't competitive enough because of the costs that were on that. No one wanted to buy our cans. So we, had to, we only had the option to sell them from the shop or online. I mean, online, seriously, before COVID, we were lucky if we used to get two or three orders it went up like 250% just overnight. It was just absolutely crazy. We decided to do free delivery within a 15-mile radius. People, obviously, people can go out. You know, Joe, our drainer, was going out with, with a full van every day. And we were brewing. Who would have thought that you'd have been brewing? It was crazy. And I was managed to be able to get them back a lot quicker than we thought. So out uh, of something bad came something good for us in a sense, really. Yeah, yeah if, we hadn't, if we hadn't had the, um, the cutting line, then there would be many beer styles that we just wouldn't be able to produce. Um, you know, having to make 2,000 litres of a, a New England IPA when you weren't known for making New England IPA and you weren't sure whether the market existed for, you for a Quantock New England IPA at that point. Um, it, it was quite risky and a, a risk that, frankly, I don't know if we were able to take at that point. Whereas once we had our own canning line, you know, the, we could produce the quantities and ease ourselves into a brand new market. And um, we've, I think we've managed to achieve that really, which mm. is, which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is very hard for, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. It's very hard for more traditional cask led breweries to make that transition into the, I hate the word craft, but we all know what I mean when I say it, craft beers like the New England IPAs and, and, and those really diverse beer styles that, that lend themselves to canning and kegging and, and the levels of carbonation. I, when I was at Sheffield Brewery Company and I, I came into that business, you know, we, it was a 10 barrel cast brewery. All they made was cast beer. And I came in with all my ideas about hoppy beers and crazy styles and stuff. And the, the kit just couldn't take it. And I made a rod for my own back trying to turn that around. By the time I left, I'd, I'd made progress, but just it was never going to, without a, a canning line or e- even a, a DPV, because I was just over top fermenters, there was no way I could produce lagers or anything of that sort. So huge, huge kudos to you for making that transition and turning it around in that way. 
it's a big step. I think it's one of those things. And, and, and again, it's another big step that we've made going from an eight barrel to the 20 barrel. And that was a lot of planning and everything else. You've got to make that step. You, you, it, 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 seriously, as, as a business, it's shit or bust. We could have stayed doing what we were doing and not make any money unless we was unless everything that we were brewing downstairs on the eight barrel was going through our tap room, which which was never going to happen. Um, and even though as the tap room got busier and busier and we worked it through COVID and did, you know, outside and, you know, um, table service and all that, and it's worked it and the tap room's busier than ever now and we do events, et cetera. But that's still never going to happen. We're still never going to be able to put that. So you've got to have, you know, you've got, we've got our indirect and wholesale, we've got our free trade, then we've got our retail. And then obviously we've got, you know, straight from the source. You know, straight from the source for us is always the best because it gives us a better margin and 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 it protects the business. But you you have to have other outlets if if you don't you know unless we have other tap rooms. I mean that will be the next thing for us next year is we will open up other tap rooms. Um, so we'll probably go into so where we are maybe into Taunton and then maybe out a little bit further um, because you know it's it, it's very very difficult you know when you're doing wholesale money beer duty, you can imagine all the business things. I mean, at the moment, it's very, very difficult to not put your prices up because we're absolutely, every day I'm getting, you know, our grain has just gone up 44%, 44%. And wow. um, cardboard before that, cardboard since COVID has gone up nearly 100%. It's just absolutely crazy. And we use all these things mm. and we try so hard, but at some point we, we have to try and absorb it as a business. And the only way we can do that is pass on the customer. But to us, if we're making a really good product, then we shouldn't be underselling it anyway. Um, So, you know, we're not the most expensive, but then we're not the cheapest. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what people want to buy. And I think that, I think without a shadow of a doubt, and, you know, I know he's sitting right next to me and down to the team, I think the quality of our beer is skyrocketing. They've had to make a really big jump from an eight barrel to a 20 barrel you know, for all the recipes they got used to and now they tried, and they've done it quickly, seamlessly. We've had a lot of problems with bits and pieces with the kit, but they've done it so, so well. Um and, and now we're in a cost of living crisis. Oh, <laughs> and there's not you know, so 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 you've you you've obviously we've we've gone, oh and then also oh. so so yeah, I mean we just got our old ad house. Sadly there are a lot of businesses closing. Um, for either being forced to or, or sadly people making that decision. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll soldier on, we'll carry on. We know it's going to be difficult, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there and so to make sure that we're at the other side. Well, I think that definitely the, the profile of the brewery has been raised by the beers that they're producing, but by getting that can in line, gave them that ability to be able to do it. So all these recipes that yeah, they'd that, had. That and then the new kit yeah. more recently. And now, and, and now the new kit. We had to make that next jump. Yeah. So where we were, we were just turning over. Um, we were doing some beers for Flavorly and some, you know, white-labelled beers. And it was just intense downstairs, labour-intensive, but the costs were just crazy. And we weren't making any money. We are just, obviously, it's all like we are all in a paddling pool and just doing this. Mm. Um, so we had to make that jump. Yeah. Um, and we've done that. And, and I think, to be quite honest, we've done it quite as, as, as successfully as, as I feel that we can do. But, but, I mean, it's one of those things that the, the, the beers just, to me, are just getting better. And obviously, I'm going to say that. But if you talk to anybody else, I think the quality of our beer now has definitely skyrocketed. And I'm just so proud of what they've done. 
transition over to something else. So it's, you know, SAS now, you know, you can make the best beer in the world, but you've got to be able to sell it and you've got to be able to hmm. give it some good marketing. Yep. So uh, we all know that. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to explore upscaling a brew house and the consideration that brewers need to make when it comes to like financing equipment, installing and commissioning it and putting as you say, tried and tested recipes through a new piece of kit. So and you, you've touched a little bit upon um, knowing it was time to um, bite the bullet and, and do that, um, obviously just through by virtue of knowing that eight barrel, you can never make enough beer and make enough margin on it. But w- at what point did you say, actually, yes, we're going to go for this? Um, so during COVID, um, coming to roundabout in the August, um, we took on, uh, we had a new sales manager, um, who then came obviously with, with quite a lot of connections, etc. One thing that we never had, and obviously something that had really grown over COVID was the online subscription services, obviously for beers or different ones. Um, we were then approached by Flavourly, um, to do them a set of beers, um, and I'll never forget that phone call. So I got a phone call from Will and Technic. Well, we, we, we were teching on it to try and do it. And then he said, oh, just to let you know that I've had a call from Flavely and, and they want 20,000. of They want 20,000 of eight beers. Well, I thought that meant 20,000 of eight beers stretched over, you know, so eight, eight, eight beers of, you know, tw- stretched over 20,000. But it wasn't. It was eight beers each of 20, they wanted 20,000 of each beer. Wow. And then they put it up within 48 hours, it was then 25,000 of each beer. And that was a real, yeah, that was when we decided, could we do it? So we were running around like headless chickens for about two or three days. We were all on an eight barrel day quarter kit. <laughs> <And we> put, <laughs> yeah. But we, um, that was difficult. Double, double back-to-back brews and everything. Yeah. But we needed to do that to get to prove that we could get to the next stage so to prove you know for finance and for the, for the loans that we needed that we needed to take that next step the only way we we're going to be able to take that was, was to prove that we were at maximum capacity downstairs mm. you know we had 10 fermenters and then as you'll know as, as, as brewing and, and stuff like that doesn't matter we could have had 50 fermenters but your, your brew kit you can only do a certain amount and all we could do was come in you know they used to do it in turn so Reese would come in. Reese is my son, who's, who's one of our brewers. He would come in at six in the morning, and literally, as he was then transferring over, Dan was then straight back in, digging out, blah blah, blah cleaning that, doing the next one. I mean, that kit took an absolute smash. It's a bit of a stain now. Yeah, you want to see it? It looks like, <laughs> yeah, road, it looks like roadkill. It's, uh, it's had a hard life. Yeah, it's birthday, no more, no more. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we were working flat out. And then, obviously, you can imagine then the canning and the packaging and everything else. So we stretched our lives. And so that was the proof of the pudding. That was the point. Um, then Flavourly then went in then with a million units for the following year. So then we needed to change it up. So that was all backed up on that. That's when we got the finance, the kit, and everything else, got some new partners, and everything changed. It was a it was a long transition. We sat and spoke to SSV for quite a long time because it was made obviously around our requirements. Um, and then that was a long time coming. Yeah. It's a long <laughs> way. Like it kept, kept on getting delayed over and over yeah, again. Because um, of COVID, you know, we kept on been, kept on thinking, oh God, we've got to brew how much on that this month? And we've still not got the new kit. You know, and bearing in mind, obviously, we've brewing all this stuff for flavoring then and then we were busy. 
So, you know, and then free trade went crazy. Mm. Cast all of a sudden, you know, came back and, you know, they again, they were coming up with a lot of the, a lot of the cans. There was a, a lot of pressure to get our own cans out, our own 440 mil cans. And obviously, you know, making sure that we've taken all the boxes with the with what we had to do for flavour Um, So, yeah, so that, that was when we had to prove that we could do it first. Yeah. So we could say, oh, let's make it, oh, let's sit around and wait for the orders because no one in the brewing industry does that. We had to demonstrate that we could. So it, had to be, it was a business plan and a forecast and everything else. Sat down and made sure that we talked with Flavely and, um, you know, signed some agreements and everything else because they didn't want to get it and then they said, oh, you know what, shall I change my mind? Mm. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so they are brilliant people to work with. Yeah. Really, really good customers. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've got a lot of stuff going forward with them for next year. Uh, we're exporting into China as well, um, February, March next year. So lots and lots of exciting things, but we wouldn't be able to do that. I think what's probably going to happen now is that we're probably going to need some new ferment. We're going to need new fermenters. So when we planned out the, um, the brew kit, um, so it's future-proof. So it's 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 um, twenty pound, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So just talk a little bit more about financing that brew house then, and those and talk us through those cash projections, especially I guess in these economically unstable times, because obviously you've got a growth plan there. If you're talking about getting new fermenters in and and, and so on and so forth, like yeah. how, how did you approach putting all that together? And I mean, because obviously it's a very very expensive piece of equipment to have. Um, in a brewery, you know, a, a very nice brew house like the one you've got, and we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but just talk us through, like, how you basically raise that kind of money for a, to expand operations. Yeah, for investment. So we found we got two new partners, um, and obviously the business plan was there. So we had to make sure that that business plan was watertight. But the other thing was just proving that. Everything that we said was on that plan, everything that was on that forecast, we were already doing. We were at maximum. That, that we, we couldn't have brewed any more downstairs if we tried. And we, had people, we had people wanting to yeah. take more beer. At we were turning people away. Right. So we, 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 we were able to prove that then. And then obviously lots of talks and then showing our business plans to different people and everything else. Um, yeah, so we finally got some people on board end of last year. Um and then, that, then there was absolutely, but in between that time, we were already sat with SSB. We'd already raised enough money that we'd put down a deposit. So it was already <laughs> in the, so, I mean, to be fair, that was a little bit, yeah, that was a probably a little bit shit or bust with me, that we'd put a deposit <laughs> down and we probably didn't know whether we could pay for the rest of it, but we won't tell everybody that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that was, that was, we, we, we took a gamble and I think you, you, you got to, if we didn't, it, we, it's, well, we it's been risk on board. Yeah. We we are a very and it is you know when you hear a lot of breweries talking about families and everything else, everything we do we all talk about as a team. You know, I know the last the the end decision is always down to me, but I will always talk to everybody else. I'll always ask what their opinion is and everything else, and that's what brings us together as a team. You know, mm-hmm. I look after them, they look after me, and that's what's really really important. We can all sit downstairs and talk about the beers when I beers. Don't like what do you think we should be doing? What do you think we shouldn't be doing? down to pump clips or anything else. And that was exactly the same about how we then take that next step for the business. It was a massive step, going from an eight to a 20. And we were so, you know, we were, you know, without with being as humble as possible, we were winning rewards, you know, 
back to back QPA was rushing out. We were winning the walls then with, with the cans that were going out and anything we were putting in. You know, obviously with Seba, we were we then won then Seba um, regional, Seba national. So so we knew the beer was good. That you know that in in a sense in in a little bit with you know bit, without sounding a bit cocky that was the easy part. Mm. The hard part was then the final. Yeah, for me. I could tell and say, "Look at these! Look what they can do!" Blah 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 blah. Invest in me. So that was that was that, that was the difficult part. Um, and there's always a risk with the brewing industry. There always is. You know, it's, it's you know, one day you can be flying eyes a car, and the next day you can be down on your knees. Yep. Um, it's, it's it's very very difficult. It is. <laughs> when we sat around that table years and years ago. If you'd have told me what I was going to go through in those fifteen years, I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even spun a two p. It'd have gone hard on bakery, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it is. It's really, really difficult. And unless you've got that money, you've got finance behind you, you've got an absolutely watertight business plan. You can market, you can sell it, because that is that dream when you're sitting there and you and you you're in your garage and you know I can make really good beer. I'm going to do it for a living. So I would honestly say to anybody, just really think about it first. I don't regret it, but it's just been such a personal, emotional roller coaster. It's been a huge journey for all of us, really. Um, and, you know, we're, we're coming up again against some more difficult, you know, hard times with the business and we're going to have to change things and the way that we do things. And But, yeah, it's it's... It's not easy. Yeah. And I can understand why there's a lot of people at the moment maybe saying, oh, you know, it's time to hang our boots up. But, yeah, we can all – there's lots and lots of people can make good beer. It's how you then put all that into that package to have that good beer in that nuts nuts can that looks even more fantastic, good name, good marketing. If you've got all that, which I believe we have, then you're on that journey. But then you've got to sit there then. now you've Then you've got to stay there. And then not be tempted by some macro brewery that wants to come along and say, oh, can I buy you? Because I won't be happy well, before we look at some of the more sort of practical aspects of upscaling, you know, like recipes and, and installing the kit, I've just got one more question just based on what you were saying. So when when you're choosing investor partners to work with, how, how do you choose the right people? Because obviously, you know, there are lots of angel investors out there or other types of investors. Um, but just, just from, I guess, from experience and through um, sometimes not my own experiences, but, you know, working with other brewing businesses that have taken on investors like you you've got to have the right fit for your yeah. business because at the end of the day it's people working with people and i've seen people take on investors and and take their cash but all of a sudden they just find their butt in heads all the time so like how do you balance the kind of someone waving their checkbook at you saying yeah i'll i'll give you the money you need versus working with somebody who's going to add value to your business, who you can get on with, but who you can also push back out when you need to and have that mutual respect for? So that's a really, really good question because we have had some people that have come along and turned around and said to me and Rob, oh, you know, I can come and work for you. I can come and do this. And then have turned us around upside down. And that has been another journey for us. So we have had some people that have bit us on the ups. And then we've had to then pick the pieces up and then move on. Quite a few people. So when it came to the fact of where where we are now and what we needed, it was to make sure that we got people who understood understood the industry. I think whereas we'd 
fallen, fail before, and I think where other people are when you get um, investment angels and everything else, they're about people who've got a lump of money, you just want a quick investment. You're not going to get that in the brewing industry. It's not going to be quick. You want someone who, who wants to support your business and understand how you are as people because we're all we're all individuals, but we're a, we're a massive team. When It's a little bit like when I interviewed, when we've done interviews, I, always, I go with my gut. If someone sits in front of me and chats, you know when you get that gut, feeling you know i mean you know and i'm not pumping dan up or trying to blow smoke up his bum because he sat next to me but i would have taken dan on because the old idea was was we were going to have a pub so i would have wanted dan you know it's the same how i've got james downstairs and everybody else that that has come in he has gone by gut feeling i've gone through sales people uh like like you would like a dose of souls sales people are it's difficult, you know, you get people sitting in front of you, I can sell ice to Eskimos, and then they go out and they can't. You need a salesperson who is passionate about what they do or has some knowledge about the industry. And I think with where I've got Will and Josh now, we've got a really good team um, to add to that later on, probably down the line that we'll see. But going back to your question, it was absolutely critical that we found the right people. So we had about two or three people that we were talking to. And... You've got to go, you've got to stick with what we're true to. We don't want people to come in to try and make us change it because it didn't need changing. It just needed investment. Mm. We've done all the hard work. Just you know what, put your money in and you'll get a really good return on this, but it's going to take five years. So that was what we did. We've met two really, really good people. I can't say too much about it because they don't like to be taught. I hope you don't mind. Um, So, yeah, two people who they call their, their partners, they're already in the drinks industry, um, very, very supportive, know what we want to do, leave us to a certain extent as to what we need to do. Times, you know, cash flow at the moment is critical of where we are. So, you know, they'll oversee a few little things on that. We have regular meetings and everything else. But really, you've got to find somebody who understands your industry. You've got to find someone. When you don't, that's when you get problems. And that's what's happened to us previously. Mm. When you get people that don't understand what you're trying to do and you're screaming out now, all the things that we screamed out about previously, we're doing. And, you know, look where we are. So, yeah. So it's not easy. You've got to find, you've got, you've got to go with, with I, I think, you can, people can tell us, oh, I've got a million, I've got a you know, if someone turned around and said to me, here's a million right now, here's a couple of hundred thousand, Cheryl, but I can do this and that you. And the other person says, I want my money back in 12 months. I'm going to go with the per- as much as I want the million, I'm going to go with the person who's going to be true to us yep. and is going to understand us as, as, you know, we are a business and a growing business, but we're also a team of something. We're so passionate about what we do that you've got to have someone like that because Dan will know previously it's not worked before when we've tried it and when you've got that love race, it just puts pressure on you all the time mm. um, and you're just fighting fire. So, yeah. So previous people that have been involved with us, that was difficult. Yep. And then you've got to make then certain decisions that we did. So we're really, we're really on a, on a, on a brilliant path now to probably be the best we've ever been for about for, for 15 years. Fantastic. Yeah. So, in this journey, you've chosen a manufacturer, which are SSV Limited, 
um, who have sponsored the Hot 4 podcast in the past. And I think I might have actually seen your actual kit at Ciba BMX. Am I right in thinking that? It was, yeah, it was yeah. I think that's how I came across Contoc. Um, everyone, oh, right. was, everyone was, I had two, two phrases while I was at BMX, whatever year that was, whether it was this year or last year, it was SSV and Quantock. Um So you, you were getting talked about as, as they were. So you, you've chosen this and they do make absolutely fantastic kits you know that they really they really really do um so what what's the process then of now you've chosen um a partner to install and commission brew house talk us through what happens and as a brewer and brewery what considerations you need to make ahead of having that installed and during the installation think you know things like keeping production going and during that swap over period alterations to the building you know bits of equipment you might need in it and so on because the amount of brewers i've talked to that have upscaled onto other kits that have said oh it's brilliant but i wish i'd have done x y and z in hindsight Mm. Um, just talk us through the whole lot of that I think that when Dan can talk to you about the installation, I'll talk about the run-up. So basically, there's a lot of things that... So SSV came along and we knew what we wanted. It's it's talked about lots and lots of planning goes into that and it's in stages. So you've got your deposit, you've got the works. Then when 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 you start to go into build, then when it's when the manufacturing of, of the equipment starts and all the time they're sending you pictures and they're giving you updates, etc. So it's all made to our spec of what we needed and how we know all that. So, so that's it. I think what some people don't understand is in the background bit is all the bits that we need to get prepared before that kit then comes over here. And that was nuts. That is where, and to keep, don't forget, we were then brewing on this eight barrel kit. We're still brewing for Flavely, who are wanting 50,000 cans a month by that point. We're already really busy. The brewery's going nuts. The tap room has gone mental. And all of a sudden, now we've got to have a brand new floor, electrics, gas, a new gas meter. The road had to be cut up outside to make sure that we were getting the right gas pressure for the steam boiler. That was crazy. And I think that you, you've, that was the bit that took us. It was a massive project, to be really honest. It, it needed a project manager. But we were so busy on doing so many other things at that particular time. New partners were coming in as well. That yeah, that, that that that's a lot of hidden expense. That we there was a lot of things that we didn't yeah. realize that we needed to do, um, and I think that catches people out. Mm. Um, and then obviously there was delays after delays, not necessarily delays with us, but there was also delays with SSV where the um, equipment coming over from China wasn't on the boat, wasn't on the boat. There was a delay for this, delay for that, um, and then Sam called and asked if they could use it for display well we weren't ready anyway <laughs> we weren't ready to take it so he said oh I showed you mind if we use it for display at beer it's so like no 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 um so that's what we did and and then I I, I do some part-time work for Siva and I was working that week so watching it all sort of like be put together in the corner and actually thinking Jesus that had been that year 18 months we and then all of a sudden it was sort of like you know, standing there in front of me was taking a few photographs. It was then broken down and then brought back. Mm. Um, and then that's when the installation process started. But a little bit, like I said, during that installation process, the boys still need to provide the beer and the liquid that we need for the business because we couldn't just shut for a week. We were very lucky that we had, um, that we'd taken on the unit next to our existing one. 
um, and they're conjoining units. So there's a you know a doorway that goes through. So we we actually moved where the brew house was situated so that we can actually now extend our bar a little right. bit. But um, but during the uh, the brew house being fitted out, it was actually being done in a separate room, so we could kind of cordon off the areas and still kind of keep production going whilst. Um, was you know we get the, the nice new swanky brew, brew house uh, next door, um, so that was that was good. If we had if we'd had to put it in the same place, uh, it it would have knocked us out for quite a while. Mm. I, I'm not sure quite how we would have made that work really. Um, but yeah, it, it, I mean the fact that it, what you know didn't work out that way was um, was fantastic. And yeah, we went from brewing on the old kit. Um, and actually, at one point, we overlapped them <laughs> um, because we weren't quite ready to take uh, QPA, which is one of our, our biggest selling beers. We weren't quite ready to take QPA over because at the very beginning, we wanted to um, kind of get our eye in first before we started taking over what we considered probably be our biggest brand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so when it, when it comes to brewing tried and tested recipes on a new kit, or even like the first batches, like what... Yeah. How, how, how do you go through upscaling that? Because I'm, I'm aware, again, from personal experience, that it's not as easy as saying, well, this recipe uses five kilos of hops at flame out, and therefore this kit's twice as big, so it's going to be 10 kilos of hops. It just, it's not <laughs> like that. Like, so, like, how, how do you take the beers that are pre-existing and dial them in on a new piece of kit? And I guess one step before that, how would you work out what your brew house efficiencies are going to be like and your mash efficiencies and, and so on on a new piece of kit? Because obviously... It, it's going from a, a Dave Porter kit to an SSV kit is is like yeah, going right, from driving a Toyota Starlet to a MR2 Roadster or something. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was fairly challenging. So what we did, we um, broke it down a bit in the months preceding. We're lucky enough to have a, a, a beer lab, so we can do quite a lot of testing in house. Um, so in the months preceding, I was doing a lot of IBU testing double checking efficiencies on the old kit um you know basically collecting as much data as i possibly can on all of the beers that we uh that we produce so that i can then make informed decisions very clearly on the on the new kit going forward um then we started bringing on the new kit and we um, basically limited our, our first uh four or five brews to to one-off um brews that don't need to be brewed to spec mm. Um, and then once they kind of made their way through fermentation, I was taking again, IBU readings, um, you know, checking color, you know, checking everything basically and taking, getting data there so that I could work out, um, or make informed decisions with regards to, to transferring, um, core recipes over, um, a little bit further down the line. Don't get me wrong. I didn't get it completely right uh, you know on the, on the on the first go round um and there's been some tweaking uh since but but we managed to get ourselves into the ballpark just by collecting that data kind of either end really um if we hadn't had the beer lab i'm not entirely sure how i would have approached it but <laughs> yeah so, it would have probably been a bit more trial and error <laughs> So retrospectively then, now it's been there for a while. How, how long has it actually been there for? July, yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, five, five months. That's okay. when we actually started to brew. It, it arrived here end of, oh, just the week after Beer X, and we started to arrive. Um, but for actual, when they've actually been able to 
leave them alone. So they're doing it. It probably was July. So it was still quite a long time, you know, for all the installation. Right. We had a lot of problems along the way. We really seriously did. We had problems with the boiler. We had problems with the gas installation because there was no way the gas um, the gas inlet we had was a powerful enough so we had to get there. And then you you talk to one person, you talk to another one. Oh, it was honestly there was it was just we were one thing. 12, we were waiting something like twelve weeks, I think, for, yeah. uh, for the council to get. So us a anybody who's listening, get your gas. Yeah. So anyone who's listening, if you're doing it, get your floor sorted, get your gas sorted, make sure everything's ready so it can just go bop. Because otherwise, UGA it's just old up after old up. And then yeah. obviously we were putting more pressure then on the kit. And then and then and then because then what we had done is looking at our timings and then the business plan that we've done and the forecasts of the beers that we were doing flavoring, they'd ask for more when we were still on the eight barrel when we should have been transferred by that time right. over to the SSV kit. So we were working even harder. And then you're then coming up to the time of year when people want their holiday and, you know, we're trying to work around that. And then we had we did our beer festival. We had done beer festival for three years and that just, oh, my God. I've never seen so many people. Do you know, all, all the time, we've seen us, even right up to the day before, I'm thinking, oh, what if no one comes? And we were just absolutely... Fucked up. Oh, it, was, it was just crazy. It was, it, was, it was really overwhelming. It was quite humbling that so many people come, but it was just, it was nuts. So, mm. so on top of that and, and organising that and, and, yeah, it has been a... a yeah is there anything on the kit that you wish you would have had installed or changed to sort of different configurations and things i reckon they'd have liked me to have gone for the automatic i right. reckon that that, that that might be the quite enjoy, choice quite but to be fair yeah but to be fair they were so hands-on on the on the on the day pull the kit Can you, you imagine how physically hands-on they yeah. were that, you know, you've got to get them, you know, you can't just have them just standing there pressing a few buttons. So, so we've got the semi-automatic. Um, we're awaiting a um, centrifuge. That'll be our next next bit of kit that we that's that's on, our, nice. on our list. Yeah. The um, in, in terms of the kit, actually, in terms of the configuration, it works really well now. It took us a while to kind of wrap our heads around kind of where all the piping goes and uh, and and understanding the and understanding breed setting on the uh, on the kit and everything. But um, but now we're up to speed to it. The brew days feel oh, so much. They're so much easier. <laughs> than before. You know the the automated dig out and all of that. You know, uh, live the dream, my, mate. Live the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's saving my back. That's for sure. I might actually uh, make it to retirement age with uh, with my back in one piece still. So, uh, but nice. yeah, the um, it's brilliant. It's really good, um, and we've kind of wrapped our head around it now. And now the the real fun kind of starts. Really, we've been you know head down and um and non-stop brewing for the last few months um you know to catch up with uh you know where we should be at this time of the year and um you know we're just getting to the time of year now where we can um you know start focusing on projects and you know kind of where we want to go next and um that's that's really exciting for me now because now we can you know we've got a great understanding of the kit itself and um you know we can start experimenting a little bit and uh you know having a little bit of fun happy days so what would you say the main takeaway and piece of advice is you'd give to any brewers listening to this who may be either about to go through this upscaling process or thinking about it even or maybe even in the midst of it like what would you say like one piece of advice from a brewer's perspective, uh, just get as much data as you possibly can. Um, 
you know, the more that the more that you can understand exactly where your beers are at the minute, um, and having that ability to test will help you progress um, or will help you get up to speed very quickly on your on your new equipment. If you're doing everything purely on sensory, um, you know, it, you'll you'll get there. You'll just be probably a little bit slower, I guess. Mm. Processes definitely have processes. Definitely write down your data, like Dan said. You know, make sure you got that business plan. Make sure you got a forecast of, of, of what you what you feel that you you need to do going forward. I just and 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 really and although you know everything's subject to change and things can happen downstairs really quickly, you need to be able to have the ability to change when something changes. Um, you know, and I think that. If it's anybody listening to you wants to start a brewery, <laughs> I'd, I'd say I'd say don't do it. That would that would be my, but that's my personal reasons. I think if it's a brewery looking to upscale, if you've if you've got it there, if you've got the sales, if you've got someone who's banging on your door and wants that and is and is and is going to be as as good as the customers we have, like the flavourly, um, then it's really worth looking into. Um, I, I wouldn't change anything that we've done. I, I, I don't want you to sound like a, for one minute that I'm ever, I feel very, very blessed for the for, for where we sit now, where we sit in the industry. Um, but it has been difficult. Yeah. Without, it really has. Yeah. Finally, I'd love to ask this question. Where do you see the industry heading over the next six to 12 months? Just before you answer that, I just want to say, I feel actually quite heartened by this conversation because just by virtue of the podcast and my business, I get to talk to lots of different breweries from across the UK and beyond. And it is quite bleak out there. You talk to a lot of breweries that are really, really struggling and stuff. But so to actually talk to you guys where actually, you know, um, I know you say things are hard, you know, but it sounds like you've got your head screwed on in terms of like business, which is half the battle. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously you've got a good customer base and so on and so forth. So just that gives me some hope that actually it's not like every brew is going to get completely wiped out and we'll be back to drinking from, you know, beers from Heineken and ABM only. Um, but I, I would love to know, like, how do you see the industry panning out over these next six to 12 months? Because things are quite difficult out there. I think that from me on the business side of it, I think that, it is tough. We're seeing it now that it's tough. I see that the, the, the tap room's not as busy. People haven't got that disposable income. So, you know, we are hospitality. We are the hospitality industry. And, and as like COVID, we're the ones that get kicked first. Um, we've got good partners. Um, we've, you know, to answer that question, it's not going to be easy for us. It's really not. We're already having to make changes now. Cash flow's king. I think... We've got Christmas. It will, it will be interesting to see what our December's like. Um, and then if then you came back and asked me again <laughs> about January, February, the same question. It'll be interesting to see what our December's like. It'll be almost like being a squirrel and, and trying to hoard up as much as we can to get us over January, February. We're lucky enough to have Flavely. We're lucky enough to have um, the, um, the export that's coming in. So we know on our bleak time in January and February, which is bleak for everybody, we know that we've, you know, they're still going to be brewing. Um, we're still going to be sending beer. We know that the free trade is going to be really not good. 
Um, and we know that obviously, you know, the shop's not going to be as busy as it is. We know that the shop, the tap isn't. And I can see that now. We're probably honestly, from last year, so I, I always go back a lot when we're, when we're looking at targets and things. And what we, one of the one of the exercises we've done over the last couple of weeks is looking back over where we were since this, since the um, cost of living crisis and where we were this time last year. Um, and November always does have that little dip, doesn't it? We yeah. always do get that little dip. Yeah. Um, it's not been, you know, last year's dip was actually worse than this year's dip. Right. So we know that we've evolved as a business in that way. We've not hit our targets that we wanted to. So we know whether we're down probably by, by at least probably 20, 25% on what we predicted and why targets were. And that's mainly been free trade. Some of that's done to the kit. It's yeah. being late in. So it's been a little... So with, 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 the, with the tap room, I can see a difference of at least we're behind probably at least 1,000 to 2,000 pounds a week. That's, 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 mm. that's a lot. Yep. Um, yeah. And... But then when I look at how it was last year, it wasn't, you know, obviously we'd come out of COVID and everything else. So it was all about the same kill. But obviously what's happened now is our costs have just gone up 10, 15, 20% over everything. And then yesterday we had the cracking news after we'd spoken to our, you know, our, our monster that it's going to go up 44%. So now we're having to sit down and then re-go over that. It's another talk now with Flavely. It's another talk now. And where do we position that in on our pricing? Pricing is massive for us. You know, you, we, we've, got to, we've got to be able to absorb it. The only way we can absorb it is either us making cuts, and we've probably made as many cuts as we can. One thing we will never, ever cut on, and our partners are very, very aware of this, we will never cut on our ingredients. We, what we make as contemporary, what goes out in that can, in that cast, we, 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 won't, we won't scrimp and scrape on those. Mm. So where else do you do it then? So, you know, energy's gone up. I mean, I won't even tell you what our new electric is. I would is. imagine it's pretty eye-watering. It's, so all of that has to go on, on the costing. And then at the end of the day, that goes down to that pint that people have mm. in their hands, the cast that goes out. So we're trying to, you know, we're going to have to put more. We haven't done it yet. We're probably one of the only breweries that hasn't. I've done a few tweaks on, on the retail, but we haven't done anything yet to our wholesale and our free trade. We're going to have to. And what we're trying to do is we're going to try and do it in stages um, and see where we are. It's going to be difficult. I'd like to say... I don't know. I, it is going to be hard. It's hard now. It's going to be hard for the broader market as well. Yeah, and it's going to, yeah, it's, it's, for, for hospitality, it's going to be a real kick. If you've not got that little bit of people are still going to treat themselves, aren't they? You're coming up to, it's happened in that time where it's to build up to Christmas. But I think January and February is going to be bleak for a lot, a lot of people. Mm. And it's sad, you know, I look on the UK brewing industry and obviously when I'm talking to some of my old colleagues from SEBA, Oh, did you know so and so's packed up? Did you know so and so stopped and everything? And you're like, oh god, it is. And, and and they're such those people are families. They're they're teams that have come together. You see them when you've been out. You socialise with all these people and everything. And you know they're giving up something that they so so love. I've I've been lucky that we've been able to hold on to it. Of all the ups and downs we've been able to have, that we've fought to for now for it. And, oh yeah, we, we we've sacrificed so many different things but I know that other people have been in that same position and I think sometimes that's a little bit different with with the microbreweries and the smaller the smaller scale breweries which you know we're still classed as a microbrewery mm. um beer duty 
maybe we won't talk about beer duty, but you know, that's going to be another thing. You know, the way they're changing the the, the progressive beer duty. Yeah. Um, you know, return scheme. So yeah, they're they're going to be huge challenges. Huge yeah. challenges for 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 any brewery. Um, what I can say to people to hold on, if you if you if you if, if if you've got that, you know, we've got that support behind us at the moment, but it's it's not it's not a um it's not a piggy bank. It's not we can't just, you know, sit back on our asses and think, oh yeah, we'll be all right because we've got these two people over It's not like that at all. Yep. Um, you know, we've got to work for it, we've got a plan. Um so I don't know what you think about beer. In terms of in terms beer. of the beer side of things, um can definitely see the market moving a bit more to small pack as people can really only enjoy beer you know, in smaller quantities, probably in the comfort of their own home rather than going out and having several pints in a, in a pub, which is a shame. Um, I think also, I think we might maybe, in terms of like trends, maybe see more brewers um, transition back to, to using more local ingredients in a bit to keep costs in a more reasonable place. So you might see the re-emergence of something like an English IPA or, or something um, you know, to that to that extent, it'll be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how beer evolves over the next, um, you know, couple of years. Really, um, hopefully, you know, the, the, there's still going to be this balance of having great cascale, you know, great keg beer, and um, and um, you know, great small pack. I wouldn't like to see any of them take too big a hit. That you know, that cask disappears off the map. Say, like, we're a big advocates of cask here love cask beer and um so you know forever hoping that we can still be producing cask beer rather than just switching purely to cans you know because that's what the market detects but um we'll we'll see we'll see how we go like i said i'd I'd like to see a few more local ingredients i think um but at the same time you know i certainly don't want um you know american hops or anything like that to be completely removed from uh from our ingredients locker you know it's uh you know, we love making, you know, big juicy IPAs as well, you know, so we're, um, yeah, we, we shall see, I guess, see what, the, see what the future holds. Yeah. Cool. Well, I do wish you all the best for the, the future going forwards and just thanks for your time for being on the show this week. How can people try your beers and follow you on social media and, and visit your tap room if they're in Somerset? Yep. So yeah. we uh, brewery.co.uk. Um, we've got a web shop on there, um, and uh, Quantum Brewery on uh, Facebook and Quantum at Quantum Brewery on uh, on Twitter and, and Insta. Yeah. Happy days, brilliant. Thank you. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot Four podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>